0: I'd like to welcome everyone to our worship service this morning. If you're visiting with us, we want you to know you're a very welcome guest, and we invite you back at any opportunity you might have. If you're live streaming with us today, we're uh, thankful that you're a part of our service. We ask that our members, as well as those visiting today, all fill out a, visit, a, 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 a membership card, an attendance card, and place it on the pew beside you, and it'll be picked up following our service. And let's join in this morning by singing, His Name is Wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. He is the mighty King, Master.
1: Everybody here. it's nice to have a little blue sky out today. So just want to welcome everybody that's here, our visitors, uh, those who are attending, the visitors, I mean our, our members and our visitors, especially some of uh, Jim and Helen Boyd's family that are here with us today because they were here for the service yesterday. And uh, for those who are joining us online, welcome. So I've been kind of looking at the attendance numbers here over the last several weeks, and I'm encouraged by the trend that we see. We've been averaging about 300 over the last several weeks, which, of course, is not where we were before pre-COVID, but we're getting there. Uh, We average about 65 online, and so when I think if we have 65 online connections, I kind of go, well, that's about one and a half people per per connection. So I'm saying we have an extra 100 people that are watching us online. So that takes us over 400. And if we say it's two, then it takes us even higher. Um, but it's good. It's, it's, it's a way to reach out to folks. Uh, we've been averaging about 175 in class. We want to get that number up because it's important to be here. Uh, so a few announcements. Um, Eileen Clark had major surgery on her jaw and her tongue this past week she had to go back into surgery because they've been having some complications so we want to remember her specifically uh, Janice Hardaway's hip is healing but she'll remain in Providence Park a little while longer uh, former member Judy Mitchum of Searcy Arkansas is recovering at home from back surgery and then Tracy Mosher the brother of Sandra Wilkinson has returned to the hospital due to heart issues also want to mention that um, Kelly Brown uh, is having the battery replaced in her pacemaker on March 11th. There's also a whole list in our bulletin that we want to remember and um, you know a lot of names make it into the bulletin but then there are some that don't and we want to remember all of those as well. So I just want to share with you all um, something that a friend shared with me recently and it was a devotional and it was about feeling overwhelmed and there's a lot of things that overwhelm us. It could be COVID. It could be, you know, an issue with children. It could be an issue with parents. It could be just as something as simple as watching the news on TV and whoever the current talking head is says something and if they don't, uh, we, if we don't agree with their position or they don't agree with our position, they make us feel horrible. And it just seems like there's just a, an effort to divide us. And all these things can make us feel overwhelmed. And the points in this devotional were these. Do not focus on how big my problem is, but focus on how big God is. And when we realize how big God is, we will realize how small our problem is. Problems shrink when God expands in our lives. So the first thing we need to realize is that God is all-powerful, he's in control, that there is nothing too hard for him, and that all things are possible with God. And the second thing to realize is this, is, you know, God has helped us in the past. And if he's helped us in the past, he'll help us now. We should not be afraid or discouraged, for the battle is not ours, but God's. And there's not a battle that God cannot overcome, especially on our behalf. God wants us to trust him, to surrender ourselves to him, and to let him fight the battle for us. Because God will win. And even in the devotional, the uh, speaker said that people get to the point where they're like, okay, I give up. And it's kind of like God saying, well, good, now we can get to work. So this is a reason why we want people here. We want people in attendance here. Because when we're here together, it's so much easier to help and encourage each other. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this day that we could come and worship you and for the beautiful weather. And Father, we thank you for this church and we pray that you will bless everybody involved with it the elders, the deacons, the staffs, the teachers, all of our volunteers. We pray for those individuals that are on our prayer list and those that were mentioned specifically today. And Father, we know that there are those who are not on that list that need help and need prayers. And we know that you know. What those needs are, and we pray that you will tend to them. And Father, we we pray that we are not feel overwhelmed by the world; that we are not feel, feeling overwhelmed by situations in our lives; that we will turn to you, Father. We pray for those who have lost loved ones over the last couple of years, but we realize that those individuals have gone on to their truly just rewards. Father, we. Pray for our elected leaders, for our national, state, and local leaders. Pray for that they will seek your guidance and that you will give it. And Father, there's unrest in the world, especially in the Ukraine and in Eastern Europe. And Father, we know that there are Christians in that country, and we pray that you will watch over them and that you will help them, and that those involved with that unrest will come to their senses. Father, we pray for the growth of this church, to spread your word. And as we close this prayer, let us always be mindful that you always love us, that you'll never forsake us, and that you'll always do what's best for us. In your son's name, amen.
0: Jesus is the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice to atone for our sins. Your only son, <laughs>
2: Last week, uh, Wayne Berryman did a great job with Communion, and um, it was, he talked about a movie that he saw about a treasure, and I thought that was pretty inspiring. Um, A lot of people like movies, I'm one of those people, um, because they use narratives to tell a story, and those narratives contain meaning. And some of them, you have like a range, you could be. Maybe you're a fan of a documentary that's true, based on truth. Or maybe you're on the other end of the scale, and you like something that's kind of make-believe but fun nonsense, like Avengers, Marvel Avengers, or something like that. And, you know, on one end, you got truth, real events, and on the other, you have a lot of symbolism. And uh, symbolism is useful for communicating truth as well. But uh, Jesus used symbolism when he taught, because he used parables to convey deep meanings. So like, for example, in Luke chapter 15, we see a couple of parables. He talked about the shepherd that had 99 sheep, and he lost one. And so he left all the other sheep, and he went looking for the one. Or there's that story of the woman who had 10 silver coins, And she lost the one, and she stayed up all night looking and searching, and she finally found it, and she called her friends over and said, you know, let's rejoice, I found this coin that was lost. And so even though we may not be a shepherd or a widow, we understand what that's like because we get the narrative, we get the symbolism of the story, and we can put ourselves in the position of those people and get the meaning. It means something to us, even though we're not like those people. We might be a little bit like them, but we're not the same. So, uh, another great moment of symbolism was when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in John three three. He told Nicodemus, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that kind of set Nicodemus back a little bit. It blew his mind, because, you know, This is true. Some people struggle with symbolism, even really smart people like Nicodemus. And he was thinking, wait, born again? What are you talking about? How can somebody be born again? Um, But he wasn't talking literally, of course, about being born again. He was talking about baptism, becoming a Christian. In John 6, um, we see Jesus feeding 5,000 people using five loaves of bread and and two fishes. And then he had to run away from all the people because this miracle was so powerful that they wanted to basically form an army and make him king by force. And he, he went about that, so he crossed the lake. In the crossing of the lake to get away from these people, there we get the story of Jesus walking on water. And that was an amazing miracle too. Um, And he kept trying to get away from the people. And so they kept tracking him down no matter where he went. Then in John chapter 6, we see this passage. He's talking to to the people, his followers. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, Not because you saw signs, but because you ate some of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What are we to do so that we may accomplish the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him, who he has sent. So they said to him, What then are you doing as a sign, so that we may see and believe you? What work are you performing? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my father Who gives you the true bread out of heaven? For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry. And the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have indeed seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I certainly will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of everything that he has given me, I will lose nothing, but will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. It's amazing to me that they asked him, after he had fed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fishes, what signs are you doing? He walked on water. He did these amazing things, and yet they were still asking him, prove it to us. Give us some proof. Like he's just a miracle machine and just going to do magic on command. They were missing the point. Jesus was telling them, and he was telling us, that God's truth is as vital to us as eating and drinking. In John chapter 6, 54 through 55... He said this, The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. That is what Jesus has done for us. He came, he lived as a human, went through the same things in his life, but a lot worse, actually problems that we face daily, and he died. He gave himself to be crucified on the cross so that we could have eternal life. Let's go to our Father in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus, who gave us the gift of eternal life through his sacrifice. We thank you for his body that was crucified on the cross We ask that you bless as we partake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we'll bless the cup. Dear Heavenly Father, we know that Jesus lived a, a life as a human. He shed his blood, and that blood was shed so that it could wash away our sins. We could never do any, anything that could repay the sacrifice and the love that he showed us by doing that. We can only hope to be inspired by this example, to draw strength from the sacrifice that he made for us, and to try to use that inspiration to change our lives, to make us better people, to make us followers, true followers of Jesus. As we partake of this fruit of the vine, we ask you to bless us in all that we do in your name. Amen. Now that uh, we've taken the bread and the cup, we have the opportunity to return some of the blessings that God's given to us. Um, the church, as you know, we've the elders have done a really good job of communicating and establishing a vision, communicating that vision of what we're doing with the resources that are given. But the bottom line is that... Uh, just as Grant said, we can see the progress. We can see the momentum building. Uh, this world needs the word of God, and it's up to us to do God's work. And as we thank God for this opportunity to give, um, we pray that that will be useful and will do, accomplish great things for the kingdom. Pray with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the good things you've given us. We thank you for health. We thank you for our city, our state, our country. Uh, There's a lot of many blessings that we enjoy as Americans and uh, Texans as well, and we thank you for all that. I pray that you would continue to bless those here in this church and the things that they do, the, the work that they do daily, so that we could, in turn, contribute to the works of the church, and that West Irwin could accomplish your will here on earth and bring glory to God. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And invite
3: our kids up for kids time today. Jesus loves me, this I know. the Bible tells me so. How many of you know who Zacchaeus was? Who knows who Zacchaeus was? What what, what happened with Zacchaeus? You can't remember, but... Yeah, that does sound really familiar. You know, I'm a lot like you a lot of the times. I think it sounds familiar, but I can't exactly remember the story. What's the story? Do you remember? How about this? Okay, super small. That's right. He was super small. Right? Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly right. Very well done. Yes, Zacchaeus was a small man, super small, as we heard a minute ago. And because he wanted to see Jesus, what did he do? He climbed in a tree... But just as she said, Jesus stopped there and he said, what are you doing up there? I'm going to go to your house today. Now, before we say another thing about that, I want us to sing the song about Zacchaeus, okay? Y'all know that song, right? Zacchaeus was a ween little man and a ween little man was he... He climbed up in the sycamore tree, the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior came that way, he looked up in the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down from there. For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Now, how many of you think that Mr. Bill is really, really tall and really big? Okay, you are my friends. I just love y'all so much. Now, when Mr. Bill was your age and even older, I was really super small also. This probably doesn't mean much to you, but when Mr. Bill was a ninth grader, that's in high school... I was 5'2 and weighed 92 pounds. So when I read the story of Zacchaeus, I understand. Because I was kind of super small too. But you know, Zacchaeus wanted to do something. What was it he wanted to do? He wanted to see Jesus. That's exactly right. And because he wanted to see Jesus, he climbed up in that sycamore tree. And Jesus told him, Zacchaeus... You come down from there because Jesus was going to do what? What was he going to do? He was going to talk to him. That's right. And he was going to go to his house. And Zacchaeus was so, so happy. And you know, Zacchaeus climbed that tree to see Jesus, not just because he was small, but because Zacchaeus was somebody that a lot of people didn't like. And he knew that he probably couldn't get next to Jesus because there were a lot of people that didn't like him. He wasn't even sure that Jesus would like him if he knew all of the bad things that he had done. But you know, Jesus not only liked him, he loved him. And he stopped and he talked to him and then he went to his house. And it says, the Bible says that Zacchaeus was so happy that Jesus was there that he promised that he would do a lot of good things instead of the bad things that he was doing. And you know why that happened? Because Jesus loved Zacchaeus. And you know what? Jesus loves you too. Let's go back to our seats or to Blast as we sing that song again. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so.
0: If you're able, please stand, and we'll sing this song, Majesty," before Bill comes and uh, speaks to us this morning. Majesty, worship this.
3: appreciate so much our shepherd, Grant Knight, um, reminding us of the acknowledgement that at times we feel overwhelmed in this life, and also reminding us that it is Jesus that provides that stability and security, even in times that seem overwhelming. And these certainly are those. I know our hearts go out to the people of Ukraine who are in um, great suffering and threat today because of the Russian invasion. And I know our church family has a lot of, of connections uh, with Ukraine. Many of us have been on uh, mission campaigns there before. There are people who have uh, family members in their ancestry uh, who were Ukrainian as well. And, um, and so I'd like for us, for just a moment, uh, to uh, offer prayer up to God, and then we'll get into this morning's sermon. Father, we praise you as the Creator God, the Sustainer of the universe, the Savior and the Judge of all mankind. Father, we acknowledge today that there is evil in the world and we acknowledge today that there is also good in the world. But, Father, so many times um, we see that good and evil in conflict in a very real and concrete way. And that's what we see in Ukraine today. And so, Father, we ask your blessing upon those who are afraid. We ask your blessing upon those who are um, mourning, mourning. And Father, we, we pray that you will bring about uh, an end uh, to this uh, war. We ask, Father, that you would bless the leaders of Ukraine and of Russia that, and other leaders of the world. President Biden, Vice President Harris, any of those, Father, who are the world leaders who will have a hand in helping bring about a more peaceful resolution And we pray for your will to be done. Father, we ask that um, you would be with the people of Ukraine and the people of Russia. We ask that you would be with the people of the surrounding nations as well. And so, Father, as we think of those, uh, those people that are there, we ask that you would be with them, whether they're there still, whether they have fled in the last days, or whether they have previously moved away from their homeland, we ask your blessing. Father, I pray for those that are um, in Mariupol, a church that I worked with and helped establish. I pray that you would be with the churches there and throughout those eastern regions, and throughout the rest of Ukraine, that they would be good witnesses and that they would feel your hand upon them and that they would be able to survive and continue to minister with your love and your word to the people of, of their homeland. And so, Father, we pray, for, um, we pray for Ilona, we pray for Victor, we pray for Dima, We pray for Kostya. We pray for Elena. We pray for Sasha and Yula. Sasha, one of the ministers in Ukraine. We pray, Father, for all of those throughout the country, throughout the surrounding region. We pray, Father, for the children who have received Bibles through the youth Bible camps and the translators, and the counselors, and the staff there. We pray for the children in the schools who receive Bibles from Eastern European Mission. And we, we ask, Father, that you would remember your promise that your word would not return empty, but that it would accomplish everything that you want it to accomplish. And, Father, in a similar way, we pray for the children and the people of Russia, they too, have received Bibles in their schools. They, too, have heard the message of God. And so, Father, we pray in this battle of good versus evil. We pray in this battle of uh, aggression versus freedom. We ask, Father, again, for your will to be done and that you would bless those uh, who are under attack and that you would bless... Uh, the attackers, that you would lead them to the good, that you would lead them to what is right, and that you would bring about your will, that you would bring about your word and your love, and we pray, Father, that you would bring about peace. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. As we continue our look at imposter Jesuses and compare them with the real Jesus, today we ask this question. What can we get from Jesus that we can't get anywhere else? What is it that Jesus can do for us that that no one else can? What is it that we can get from Jesus that we can't get anywhere else. In his book, The Original Jesus, Daniel Darling contrasts the real Jesus with other inspirational, uh, religious, and popular figures. He calls Guru Jesus, I like that name. As well as popular psychology authors and speakers, he calls fittingly enough Dr. Phil. Jesus. He writes this. This Dr. Phil Jesus is attractive in a self-help society. This Jesus is a self-help star who doesn't renew us from the inside, but offers a set of vague moral principles by which we can work our way to success. This Jesus is not the one who breathed life into dead creatures, but the one who offers a serene pathway To your best life now. Those are helpful and have their place, but they're imposter Jesus's. If we're looking to them for redemption, if we're looking to them for salvation, if we're looking to them as our ultimate guide, we will find that they're imposters. And let's be clear. There's a place for the inspiration and encouragement that can come from devotional, historical, even doctrinal religious writers and speakers. How's that working for you? (laughs) Dr. Phil would ask. Well, I believe that that's a good question for us to be asked at times. I think that's important for someone to ask us sometimes when we're caught up in something that isn't working (laughs) and that's not right. I think it's an important question for us to ask each other. How's that working out for you? Because if it's not, then we need to take a closer look. There's a place for psychologists and self-help writers and therapists. One of my favorite books is Amy Morin's book, 13 Things uh, That Mentally Strong People Don't Do. not do i have taught using that book here. In Bible class, I've used it in illustrating worship services, worship sermons. And I think that's important and very helpful and significant. It can be a real help. I read those books, and I personally have gone to those counselors. I think they have their place. It can be very helpful, very important. But what they can't do is save us. They can't save us from our sin. They can't provide forgiveness. They can't provide salvation. They can't redeem us. Again, quoting from the book, the original Jesus, there is no immediate fix to what ails us. There is no instant gratification, no shortcut to the slow and sure process of sanctification. Repentance and faith are more than mere self-improvement. They are the lifelong, joyous struggle to bring God glory. And I think there's something in there that sounds contradictory to me. (laughs) The lifelong, joyous struggle. (laughs) I'm thinking those three words shouldn't be in the same sentence. It's lifelong, so we actually never fully accomplish that. Well, that's the idea of sanctification, becoming more holy, more pure, more righteous, more like God. That's a lifelong struggle. (laughs) That doesn't sound very encouraging at all. And yet it's a lifelong, joyous struggle. How can that be? How can that be? Only through Jesus Christ can that lifelong struggle be joyful. You can't compare the imposter Jesus with the Redeemer Jesus. And as Grant shared, when we're feeling that sense of overwhelmed uh, uh, personality because of all of the things that are going on when it, all of the issues seem to divide us and polarize us as a nation, as a world, as families. Yes, even as the church. What is the answer? The answer cannot be found in imposter Jesus's. This is too big. But the answer can be found with the Redeemer. Jesus, the one who can set us free. We see this played out in the Gospels in many places, including three interactions that we'll look at today, interactions with the Jesus who seeks our redemption and salvation above all else. There's a lot of other things that are important and significant and that are worthy of us to consider and work on. That's certainly true. But only the Redeemer, Jesus, is the one who ultimately seeks our salvation and our redemption, our ultimate freedom and life and, yes, joy. And so the first one is Nicodemus. Chris mentioned him and his wonderful thoughts as we gathered around the table And talked about that contrast between symbolism and truth. And Nicodemus, I think Chris got a a, a lot of both in that conversation. He got that symbolism in John 3 where Jesus talked about, look, you've got to be born again. And for Nicodemus, it was a complete surprise. Who was Nicodemus? Well, Nicodemus was one of the Jewish ruling council members. He was one of the smartest guys in the nation of Israel, the people of God. He was on that council. He would would help to decide the hardest issues in the nation that people would bring. And so as he comes to Jesus, as you know, at night in John 3, probably wanting perhaps not everyone to know that he was doing it, but I think more likely he wanted some special one-on-one time with Jesus because he felt like he deserved it. (laughs) These other kind of peons that come during the day, all the thousands that come, and they're baptized by John the Baptist, and they they hear all of these things. Uh, You know, that's one group, but I'm in a different group. I can come to Jesus by myself at night. Two very smart, very knowledgeable theologians to talk shop to talk God, to talk theology, to talk God's word. And so he starts out with, we all know that you've come from God because nobody can do these fantastic, amazing miracles that you do unless God sent him. It kind of divides after that. (laughs) But Jesus interrupts him right there and hits him with that truth. I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, unless you're born again of water and the spirit, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that completely takes Nicodemus by surprise. He can't believe it. If anybody's going to heaven, it's him. If anybody's going to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, it's him. If anybody doesn't need to be baptized for repentance as John and Jesus and their disciples were preaching, It would be Nicodemus, and Jesus stops him cold, and he confronts him, and he says, Nicodemus, unless you are born again of water and the Spirit, you will be left out. Well, that's something that affects Nicodemus throughout his next few years, I think. Because in chapter 7 we, we find another little window into Nicodemus' life where he's at one of those Jewish ruling council, one of the meetings of the Sanhedrin in John 7 and, and Jesus uh, is being talked about and they're condemning him and Nicodemus very sheepishly I think raises the issue of wait, shouldn't we at least hear him out and they just blast him and that's the last we hear of Nicodemus saying anything for a while. Until chapter 19, when Jesus is killed on the cross. And it's two members of that Jewish ruling council that take him down from the cross, become ceremonially unclean, and become public enemies number one and two. And it's Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. You see, what Jesus did in John 3 as he confronted Nicodemus, and what he was asking him was the same question he's asking us today, and that's this. What's distracting you from putting God first? What's distracting you? There's a lot of other things out there, and some of them are good things. Some of them are even important things. But they can't bring salvation. They can't bring redemption And that was his question for Nicodemus. Nicodemus, what's distracting you from becoming my follower? And will you do something about that? Ultimately, Nicodemus does. But for a while, he was distracted. Well, secondly today, let's look at Jesus and the rich young ruler. Again, another very familiar story. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in Mark 10, we, we read that story, and, and this rich young ruler, this uh, man who is very faithful, uh, comes to Jesus, and, and he says, what do I have to do to go to heaven, <laughs> basically? And Jesus tells him, well, look, you know, you know the law. You know your Bible. You need to obey the commandments. And he lists several there, Jesus does. And then the man says, I've kept all of these from my youth. What am I still lacking? And I wonder why he's asking that question. What am I still lacking? Was it because deep inside of him, he knew something wasn't right? Maybe, maybe. Was it as as recorded in the gospels? He just wanted to justify himself, certainly. But Jesus wouldn't have it. And so unlike we are sometimes who will do anything in the world we can to try to make someone feel comfortable here, (laughs) Jesus tells him the one thing, the only thing that could drive him away. (laughs) Bill would stay far away from that issue, but Jesus does not. He tells him the one thing that would cause him to leave and not come back. Okay. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And he went away sad. And I don't think it's just because he had a lot to give, it's because he didn't want to give it. Whether you have a lot or a little, that can be an issue, that can be a problem. You see, the rich young ruler, like we are, was tempted. And maybe you're not tempted in the same way that he was. But you're tempted somehow or another. And it's the same question with Nicodemus. What's distracting you from following me, Jesus asks. What are you tempted with? What what is it that Satan realizes if he gets you there, he's got you. And he can get you there. What is that thing? Maybe it's materialism, which is the same thing it was for the rich young ruler. Maybe it's power and glory and honor, which I think is part of what Nicodemus had. Maybe it's personal sin, which will be the next guy. What are you tempted with? And one of the reasons I love to go to Mark instead of Matthew and Luke is because of the way Mark 10 verse 21 starts. Before Jesus tells him, you need to sell everything you have and give to the poor and come and follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. Before Jesus says that, Mark says in Mark 10 verse 21, Jesus looked at the man and what? Loved him. He looked at the man and he loved him. And then he laid him out. (laughs) Then he sliced open his heart. Not just so that Jesus could see. Jesus already knew what was there. But so that he could see. And he could decide. Will I give in to this temptation or will I let Jesus redeem me and free me from the slavery that I'm in? Well, the third one we're talking about today is who we sang about with the kids up here, Jesus and Zacchaeus. And I got to tell you, one of my fears in doing this sermon is that I was going to get the names Nicodemus and Zacchaeus mixed up during the sermon during the kid's time. And I have a history of that. Perhaps some of you have heard me say that there was one time where I preached this wonderful, incredible sermon on Noah and the ark. And it was great. And I preached the whole sermon. But instead of saying Noah, I said Moses and the ark all the way through. And, of course, none of my friends would try to help me out and say, Bill, Bill, Bill. No, no, no. No, no, no. They just let me sit up there and die. (laughs) Because that's what friends do for each other. And so i got to say, Nicodemus and Zacchaeus sound kind of alike. But we've talked about Nicodemus, and we've talked about the rich young ruler. So let's talk about Jesus and Zacchaeus. And let's read. Luke 19, beginning at verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And so we already know that he was very likely dishonest, an outcast, disrespected by the Jews and by the Romans. The only person that this guy could have any kind of relationship with was other people who were also outcasts. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, verse 5, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him Gladly, I think the word there could have been surprisingly (laughs) astonished amazed and I have a feeling that with Nicodemus when Jesus stopped there initially his heart sank and he thought great as it turns out Jesus is going to be just like all the rest of them stopping here to lambast me, stopping here to make fun of me. But instead, Jesus tells him, I must stay at your house today. All the people saw this, verse 7, and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. True or false? 100% true. True. Which would have been the case no matter which house he went to, right? But not everybody realized that. Verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Giving away half of your possessions is more than what the law allows. And yeah, it talks about restitution. But Nicodemus was ready to give it all, I think. I mean, Zacchaeus. Did you catch it? I did that just to test you. Zacchaeus says, here, I'll give it all away. Unlike the rich young ruler. Who everybody else would have said, he's the faithful guy. He's the good guy. He's the guy we want. Zacchaeus is the sinner. He's the outcast. He's dishonest. That's what they would say, and they were likely true. And so Jesus said to him in verses 9 and 10, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, this man was also a Jew. He was a descendant of Abraham just as much as anybody else was there. But he was also lost. And only Jesus could find him. Because only Jesus could save him. And that's what he came to do to seek and to save the lost. You see, Zacchaeus had no joy. He had no joy. There's probably a lot of reasons why he was up in that tree and not just because he was short. Because he knew that was his only chance at seeing Jesus. Because if he knew that if he tried to fight his way through that crowd, he would have likely been beaten up. And at least pushed aside. And so he just wanted to see him. And instead he got to know him. And he welcomed Jesus gladly. Now Zacchaeus has joy. Only from Jesus can we get redemption. Only from Jesus can we get redemption. One of the passages that Chris referred to in John chapter six, when Jesus calls on us, I think that's John's communion story, last supper story almost. You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood or you'll be no part of me. John writing to the church, remembering those words of Jesus. That's a hard thing to hear. And so a lot of them went away. And finally, all of them but the 12 apostles. And so at the end of John 6, Jesus says, well, what about you guys? You want to go away too? And Peter, in one of those remarkable displays, says, where would we go? Guru Jesus? Dr. Phil Jesus? Jesus? Some other imposter, Jesus, where would we go and get what we can get from you? Because you have the words of eternal life. You are the Son of God. You are the Savior. You can redeem us. O oh, Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the Holy Lamb of God. Oh, wash me in His precious blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. What did those three, as we close today, what did those three, Nicodemus, the rich young ruler, and Zacchaeus, what do they have in common with each other and with us? What they had in common is they were all sinners, just as we are. And they were all lost, just as we have been. And some of us are still today. Because we're looking for something somewhere that we can only find in Jesus. And so three things this morning to leave you with. Number one, respond in faith. Respond in faith like Jesus told Nicodemus to do. And like he ultimately did. Once he got past all the distractions. Today what are your distractions? Today what is keeping you from responding in faith? Respond in faith. Number two. Recognize your weakness. Recognize your weakness. Just like Jesus wanted the rich young ruler to do. Which as best we can tell. He never did. Unlike Nicodemus and Zacchaeus. What are your temptations today? What is that one thing that Jesus would tell you today you've got to change if you're going to be his faithful disciple? Recognize your weakness, respond in faith, and then, third, rejoice in your salvation, like Zacchaeus was finally able to do for the first time, probably in forever, (laughs) since he got that job as a tax collector rejoice in your salvation. The question here is, where is your joy? Where is your joy? Does it come from Jesus? Does it come from our Lord? You see, the difference between the Christian and the Non Christian, between the person who has turned to Jesus Christ by faith and has been born again of water and the Spirit and the person who hasn't done that. It's not that one's a sinner and one's not because we're all sinners. It's not that one struggles and one does not because we all struggle. But for one, the struggle is one of joy. For the other, it's just a source of frustration and sorrow. And for one, there is a Redeemer, the Redeemer Jesus. I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know, I know eternal life He gives. I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. If you don't know that today, we want to help you Find that out. Come as we stand. Sing this great hymn together. I know
0: that my, know that my redeemer, redeemer is, is a for glory. glory. I know that. in prayer. Jesus, we love
2: Father, we are uh, so blessed to be here this morning. Thank you for this time that, that you've allowed us to have to come here to study your word together and to worship in uh, song. And um, uh, just just thank you for um, helping us to get here safely this morning. Father, you have blessed this church in so many ways and in our, in our, in our prayer is that you continue to bless us and just guide us down the right path. Father, as we go out uh, this week, Um, keep us safe, watch over us and just help us to be a light for you and help us to be the Christians that you want us to be forgive us of our sins and and thank you for your son and uh, it's in his name we pray, amen